Infinity Wars, episode 0005, The Matrix and Inception. Take the fucking pill already. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us in the what we're going to call the existential crisis episode. We decided <laughs> to pick two philosophical giants of films here today and... I think at first we're like, oh, these movies got cool scenes and a man, the bullet time and the dream scenes. But then you get into all these philosophical things. But we're here to uh, war it out between two amazing films, The Matrix and Between Inception. I'm your host, Kyle. Hey, I'm Drew, and I know Kung Fu. <laughs> and I'm Phil, and I also know Kung Fu, <laughs> too. Did you watch anything? <laughs> Did you watch the You know me. <laughs> I just watched the Cliff's Notes. <laughs> so, um, you know, like I said earlier, we, we're in the middle of these two films, and it's really easy to get lost in all of the different philosophical themes of these two films. The Matrix has a commentary where they have two university-level Ivy League, you know, Harvard guys going at it from a philosophical perspective. And I didn't want to lean too much into it because I think it's easy to ascribe a philosophy to anything that you see fit. So my goal when I watched these two movies was to kind of boil it down because at the end of the day, we're fans. We're not critics, although we do have very potent opinions. I wanted to find some some things that connect these movies because, after all, that's why we do movie wars. We pick movies that are connected. And one thing I did want to get into, aside from the amazing choreography, cinematography, music, everything that's so amazing in these films, is this idea of the main philosophy being the idea of human freedom. Now, human freedom is a very broad philosophical topic. So when you look back through period philosophy, you could even say that Marxism is a human freedom. All these philosophies really boil up to, do we have free will? Are we conscious? Do we choose what we do? Are we structured? Are we simulated? Are we, you know, are we projected by a god? Are we projected by the earth? All these different philosophical nuances really boil into this idea of human freedom if you really look at all philosophy. But human freedom is everything in these movies because, and even though they look different in both films, really if I were to summarize these two movies and why they are connected, it's two movies about two people traversing alternate realities to achieve their version of human freedom. And it's all about Socratic energy. And so, and for those listening that don't know much about Socrates, Socrates, his whole philosophy was about questioning authority. He used to walk around literally standing on the street corners, challenging who they called the philosophs. And the philosophs were people that, you know, they were like the authoritarian, what you would call a scholar today. They were the university, the educators, the teachers. And yeah, they had philosophies, but they were authoritarian. Their philosophies always played into whoever the, uh, you know, the emperor was or whatever they were, you know, whoever the authorities were at the time. That's what the philosophs would project. And Socrates would, was the person that said, no, it is this. You know, the authority, he would say, the man that admits he knows nothing knows everything. That was a Socrates quote. And that was his philosophy. And so much of that is evident in both of these, and, and it's a little more in the Matrix for this reason. The corporate structure is really the oppressor of freedom for Neo, for Keanu Reeves' character. It's Agent Smith is a, is an agent of order, is an agent of structure. That's the the authority he's oppressing. And and the last philosophical term I drop, and this was what really stuck out in the phil no the philosophy commentary was this idea of heroic agency. The idea of heroic agency is this idea that a hero arises from mediocre circumstances. Neo, when he is just Mr. Anderson, he doesn't know he's oppressed yet. He doesn't know he he inkles that something's wrong. He has kind of this, this thing on the back of his neck, this hair that raises and says there's something wrong with this structure, but he doesn't know what it is. And for him, heroicism meant just going against the structure, using that Socratic energy to fight the corporate structure. And, and one thing I put in my notes in this theme is that what's interesting about heroicism in this context, and I'm not saying being a superhero is always easy, but they have these phenomenal 
crazy powers, but the heroic agency in the Matrix is him literally realizing that he's in a structure and he has a choice. He can stay and accept that he's a program, that he's consciously programmed into the Matrix and live an easy life, not detesting, not hacking, just going to work, eating food that's not real. But he has to make a choice and it doesn't make his life easier. He, he gains responsibility through that. And it's the same for Dom or Neo, or sorry, Leo, Leo Neo, Dom. I love all these three-letter, <laughs> you know. But Dom, played by Leo in Inception, his idea of freedom is I want to see my kids, you know. And so he knows he's risking everything. He could get lost in the subconscious for 50 years, but he's traversing these alternate realities because ultimately he has an idealized freedom that he wants to achieve. And I think that's what's beautiful about these characters is compared to like a superhero, to an Iron Man or to a Batman or to any of those people that have these extraordinary talents, although Neo eventually achieves those through his his training, is that for them, heroicism meant just rising above and challenging the status quo, challenging, I could live a comfortable life, comfortable in quotes, as in, if I don't challenge the status quo, I can go to work every day and just live in this ethereal, computer-generated reality, or I can challenge it, make my life immensely harder, but sacrifice everything for what I think is idealistic, which is this freedom that is, yes, I lose the comfort, I lose good food, I lose my hair, I lose everything. I'm on this underground ship in a destroyed human dystopia, but I am free because I'm making my own choices and I'm fighting against the oppressors. And and a quote that was from Marx, what's interesting about how these are framed up, Marx is very prevalent in both of these films from a philosophical perspective. But Marx said, or sorry, it was between Marx and Freud, and this is what was the best part of the commentary to me. He said, Freud said, internal repression was unfreedom. Unfreedom is the term that's just opposite of freedom. Whereas Marx said structural and or external pressures or external structures were the true repression. And it's interesting when you watch both of these films, especially The Matrix, you can see these two overlaps, the internal repression of I'm the savior of this universe, I'm the savior of humans versus that external pressure and repression, which is the corporate structure. And I'm going to stop there because I just went on a rant. But to me, those are the things that make these two movies great, aside from all the action and all the beautiful. And we'll, we'll talk about that most of the time. But did I lose y'all? What is that? Is that? No, that's great stuff. I, I, I think that was beautifully said. To me, it's it, to, even to simplify it to, to a more base level than that, the, the question these two movies are asking is what is real and what is not real? And can we even know what reality is? And if we can, what is our role in reality and what is our role outside of reality. So it's kind of all those things are sort of like bouncing around in these two films, which I think is what connects them. So I'm excited to talk about them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the amazing thing about your intro is that you went, you went even a level deeper, I think, than mm -hmm. the, the common person might go with these films because like what Drew said, if you, at the end of the day, the macro theme of these movies is what's real and what's not. When you get down to like the granularity of it, it's there, there's the, yeah, the challenging of authority, the corporate structure, you know, what would I do if I knew that my reality was something other than what I always thought it was, stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, there, these are, I don't know if we made the right decision tackling these two <laughs> movies at the same time because they're, at least to me, you could do a whole series probably. They oh. were two, uh, The Matrix and Inception are two of the most impactful movies I've ever watched. Because there's something about it that makes you wonder and makes you truly question the the reality of your own circumstances, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and to me that's beautiful. Like if if you're questioning and you're and and you're being forced into this uncomfortable place of like, could my reality actually be something other than what I think it is? That that's huge. Mm -hmm. And these mm -hmm. both of these movies did that to me. I agree with you so much. I and I I didn't 
think about it. And Drew is our matchmaker, and you always match perfect films. But we were all texting each other thinking, what did we get ourselves into with these two movies? <laughs> I mean, the common themes about a lot of the movies we watch, and I'm, what I'm realizing, <clears throat> and I don't know, and this is an improv, I don't know if you are realizing this, but one of the things that makes the movie, we're picking great movies for this podcast. And one of the things that makes them great is they blossom over time. The Matrix doesn't mean to me today what it meant when I saw it, when mm -hmm. it first came. And I actually was blessed to see this in theaters. And I say blessed because it was such an experience then. I remember being one of the people that said, I saw bullet time on the screen. Like, and nobody expected it. Nobody no. thought Matrix was going to be anything to no. at home about. They couldn't get the big stars they wanted. Like, nobody, I can't, I have it in my notes, but some big stars turned these roles down. I mean, people didn't really, the Wachowskis were completely unknown. That's the, that's the proof of a great movie, though, yeah. is that the concept and the execution is so genius mm -hmm. that it stands alone completely apart from the cast or lack of cast or, you know, mm -hmm. however you want to put it. It's It's just a brilliant film. You know, done done brilliantly. Down to even the cinematography, even at the time with that green hue over the film, like the movie was trying to say something and it did everything it, it could in its power to say it. The green hue is huge and, and, you, and you don't notice it until like they get out of the Matrix and you're like, is the world green? Like it's like jade color. It's like... It's amazing. It's yeah. just a, a physical manifestation or visual, visual visualization of what reality might be. And it's that it's, you know, shrouded and and not quite real enough. So they had to give it another color. And I love that. That's that's just some serious artistic license. It's yeah. beautiful. And I think it's a nod to <clears throat> monochromatic MS-DOS operating systems of that time, too. Yes. Like the black and green, like the computer so systems. So good. Like, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Did not that's, even that's think of that. That's the vibe I got. Amazing. And, uh, you know, and what's interesting, and, and before we go, and we'll go into the question section before the, the war score, kind of along what Phil was saying about how executed these films are, they're perfectly executed because the vehicle, what's funny is when you're younger, and I was talking about kind of the blooming of the onion over time and how they blossom the older you get. <laughs> I'm sorry. The onions bloom. <laughs> <laughs> blossoming of the onion. <laughs> the, the blooming of the onion. You I are want fucking out back. There was an onion that bloomed, and okay. uh, this is the bleeding of the it sirloin just so steak. To be a dish from a restaurant. <laughs> we were talking about the sandwiching. Earlier. The sandwiching of the chicken. What's crazy about this? The balance they strike, and you talked about kind of how these films were executed, Phil. The balance, because so many movies are heavy-handed. When they talk, when you get to philosophical themes, like I'm talking about Tree of Life, you know, by Malick, you know, with Brad Pitt. Jessica Chastain. That movie is like, it's a beautiful art film, but it's really hard to watch. It's long. It's, it's, you know, at one point they're like, all of a sudden they're talking about dinosaurs for two hours. And that movie is so heavy handedly <laughs> philosophical. It's fun if you're in for a philosophical exercise, but how many people, and this is kind of what happened to me. I went to see an action film. You know what I mean? And right. had I not seen Matrix and understood the philosophical themes, I probably wouldn't have seen Inception because it's kind of the same. You may go to Inception thinking you're getting a Leo film, an action film. You just saw The Dark Knight. You love Nolan. All of a sudden, you're in for this kind of psychological, philosophical action film. And that's, I think, let's be honest. Most people are like, well, the guy that did Dark Knight has a movie with Leonardo DiCaprio. So, I mean, I think that was, <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. That was essentially it. I didn't know what Inception was when I saw it. I remember like, okay, it's Nolan. I'll turn it on. But I was like, this is not what I expected. Well, and, and to your earlier point, Inception almost, the thing that make to me that makes that movie so genius is it toes that line of almost going too far down the philosophical path that it confuses you. And honestly, it, it could be confusing to a lot of people and it should mm -hmm. be because it takes what the Matrix built and just expounds upon it. Not only are you questioning your reality, but you're questioning 
every possible reality mm -hmm. because you don't have anything to determine whether or not your reality is real in that movie except for your totem. And even that is not necessarily reliable because it could just be subject to the projection of somebody else in that movie. Mm. So it's... It's a mental maze. That movie is just the ultimate mindfuck Because there's every not the way. dualistic nature. In The Matrix, it's like it's either yeah. real or it's not. Real or Red it's pill, not. blue pill. Like it's like back and forth, good, bad. Like it's still <clears throat> a kind of old-fashioned in the sense there's a bad team and a good team and blah, blah, blah. But with Inception, it's like it's levels and layers and there's multiple people dreaming and anybody could like be doing anything yeah. and you don't know whose dream it is. And, who's, and there, you know. there are people living in other people's dreams, influencing those dreams and building the realities mm -hmm. in those dreams. And, you know, it's just the the layers in inception it god that movie just unveils itself every single time it's well genius. done genius so drew what is your uh, experience with these films and why are they unique to you so yeah i saw the matrix when i was in high school it did absolutely nothing for me it was like after it was like an after church youth event the older <laughs> kids in the youth group loved it i was just there cuz there was a girl i liked whatever couldn't care less. <clears throat> I remember thinking the bullet time thing was cool, and that's about my only takeaway. Uh, Inception, I did see in theaters, and I I walked out grasping the bare minimum, but still having had a great time and loved it. And I think that's the beauty of Inception is because you can you can kind of just take a bite out of it and get just enough to where you're like, wow, that was really cool. And the top at the end didn't like, you don't know if it fell over or not. Like you, you get enough. And I think that speaks to Nolan's just brilliance is that he offered enough for people that don't want to get super cerebral and walk down the philosophical paths that we've been talking about for the last 20 minutes. But also uh, can be an entertaining hour or a couple hours. So <clears throat> loved them both. Well, I loved the Inception. I've since come back to Matrix. Loved that as well. So I really enjoyed diving back into both of them with each other in mind. So I don't remember the first time I saw The Matrix. Honestly, I could have seen it in theaters. That movie doesn't hold like much nostalgic value to me, but having seen it multiple times as an adult, I just love the question that that movie poses. And, and that question is, are we... <laughs> are we living in a simulation? One of my favorite personal jokes is, you know, whenever something real weird happens or really predictable happens or just the same thing happens over and over, it's like, you know, hashtag simulation or whatever. And I know, uh, you know, Gen Z hashtags are out, but you know, you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> so, um, so, but man, The Matrix, every time I watch that movie, I just put so much stock into what, what it did for films and what it does for just the, the questioning of, everything because in my opinion this is just a personal opinion i don't think you're living unless you're questioning the things that are going on around you and that could be something as simple as the food you're eating all the way to are we really here and i think that's a valid exercise you know even if at the end of the day your conclusion is reality is what it is and, and what i see every day is reality to me the important thing about the matrix is that it questioned that and it brought that question into the mainstream because prior to that i i mean i could be wrong but i'm not sure there was another movie that really took that question and extrapolated these possibilities out like these humans are energy source for this alien situation or for this robotic situation and they're plugged into this computer and on and on and in order to keep the mind of these people occupied accurately 
they have to simulate a reality that's believable for the mind. And so these people are in this reality. And to me, for the first time ever, that movie just brought that into the forefront. Inception I saw in theaters. I walked away from it mind blown. It kind of ruined movies for me for a long time because nothing could touch the philosophical depth of that movie. And 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 it's kind of like you you know eating the best steak on the planet and then going back to uh, you know Outback or something like that and trying that. No rub- disrespect to Outback. Yeah, you know, not gonna hit get hit with the veggie libel laws, but your steaks are rubber. Um, <laughs> and going back to those steaks or something and being like, yeah, this is not as good as the you know hundred twenty. $20 Wagyu filet I just had mm-hmm. or whatever. And that's kind of what Inception did to me for movies for a while is that it takes you on such a journey through so many layers of possibility and questioning and reality that like, man, it's just, you just walk away thinking. And I love that about a movie. If it doesn't challenge me, it, I have a hard time getting into it. So these two movies are just hold a special place. You know, for me, the experience, I didn't realize till we started doing this podcast that I'm a Keanu Reeves lifer. Um, just like James Cameron, we talked about on the previous podcast, every decade, James Cameron has been directing, he's moved the ball. Terminator, Aliens, Titanic, Avatar. Like every decade, he's just bringing relevant films. Keanu's the same way, and he gets criticized a lot by critics, but I think I originally watched The Matrix because I love Keanu Reeves. Point Break, Bill and Ted. Like I was just a a huge Keanu fan, and I was coming for an action film, but what's cool for me about The Matrix is it made philosophy cool. And it got me into philosophy because I was in a high school philosophy class, and I had seen The Matrix, and I loved the action, and I loved the bullet time, I loved Keanu, but I was too young to kind of pick up on the philosophical nuance. And then I read this book, and that is what got me into philosophy. And, and I didn't know what Inception was when I saw it. When I saw it, I didn't know. Literally, I hadn't read a synopsis. I just knew it was Leo. I knew I loved Leo, and I knew I loved The Dark Knight. And I had watched Memento. I had gone backwards through Nolan, so I went to Memento and then following and really loved it. But in no way did watching those movies set you up for Inception. But because I had seen The Matrix, and I, I think for me, if I hadn't have loved The Matrix, I wouldn't have liked Inception because I think it it sets you on the path to enjoy it. But I don't know about you guys, but I came away from these movies thinking Nolan is a physicist or something. He doesn't have a scientific background, but is he a physicist? I mean, yeah, this dude's a scientist. His science may not be perfect in these films, but he does an exceptional job and this, to me, is the hallmark of a great filmmaker. He did an exceptional job of taking a really complicated topic and distilling it down and making it palatable for the everyday audience and making it entertaining. And when I get at the end the, of the day, a movie needs to be entertaining. And, and, it, when, and Inception is. When I get into the random facts, you may be shocked by how non-scientific it really is. All right, let's get into some randos here. We're going to start with The Matrix. First one, before... This film, Keanu Reeves had to have neck fusion surgery. So he had to have like vertebrae fused. So a lot of the fight scenes you see were done later. So they did a lot of the dialogue and that stuff early because if he fought, he would ruin his surgery. So, and then they even hit a point where he started to do the fight scenes and he like ruined his surgery. So he, they even had to delay the fights more because he re-injured himself, but because his surgery wouldn't take. And I think Eli Manning from the Giants had the same thing or... Peyton Manning, not from the Giants, from the Colts and the Broncos, but <laughs> wow! Thank you for those commercials. Thank, you know the football guy with the with the, with the arm, the hey. neck, and the man. Thank you, Bourbon. Yeah, thank you, Bourbon. So anyway, he had to. So right before this movie, he had vertebrae fused, like surgery. So I thought that was a crazy fact. So they uh they got a leading. Oh, I have an eerie, weird fact. Well, there's there's already a kind of a. a thing looming over Matrix uh, regarding Columbine, because apparently that scene the with the trench coats, coats kind of inspired yeah. the Columbine shooting. So that that struck me as eerie as I was watching it. It's, it's almost 
hard to enjoy that scene now just with that kind of gnawing at the back of my mind. Another thing that I found just on the internet the other day was that this movie was made in the 90s, right? Late 90s. Came out in 99, 99 I think. I think yeah. At one moment, you see Neo's passport, and the expiration date of Neo's passport is September 11th, 2001. Which is kind of weird. Like, it's just like, I was like, whoa, that's... No way. Just what are the chances? And obviously, you know, I'm sure there are conspiracy theorists out there that are losing their minds over that, but I just thought that was kind of interesting. So earlier in the intro, we talked about... Uh, people that turn this role down. And you have to remember, this is prime Nicolas Cage. So Nicolas Cage turning it down in this time was a big deal. Nicolas Cage and Will Smith both turned down the role of Neo. I feel like Will Smith is too flashy. Exactly. Too badass, too confident, too self-secure. Because I feel like the whole time, Neo starts, he wakes up, he passed out because he's a computer nerd and he was up all night. And like he's sort of just like unsure of himself the whole movie. Like, I'm not... I, I don't think I'm the one. I don't know. Is this real? I, I know, know Kung, Kung Fu. Fu. <laughs> like, he's just kind of like, plays this every man just kind of doofus. Not doofus, but you know what I'm saying. Will Smith cannot do that. Will Smith, yeah. He's just too too much charisma. And this is 1999. So this is Will Smith, like, during Will Smith. Like, Men in Black. Like, he hit right. the 90s his, his for a run. Yeah. crazy run. So this is amazing. So they got one of the top Kung Fu choreographers in the world. I think he worked with Bruce Lee to do all the choreography for the kung fu in this movie. It took them two months to choreograph the fight scene where they're in the dojo, where they're first training Keanu Reeves, or first training Neo, to fight Morpheus, the one where they're like, oh, is he the one? That took two months to choreograph and teach them how to do those fight scenes. Just that one scene. And what is that? Two and a half minutes of the whole movie? Incredible dedication. And I'm impressed. I mean, and again, I'm a Keanu lifer. I love what they do. And, and, and Lawrence Fishburne, Really convincing Kung Fu. He was fantastic in that film. Fishburne? Yes. Yes. Love Fish. He, in, in my opinion, the strongest acting performance in that movie. Completely agree. And he's completely underrated. <sighs> that scene when he when uh, Neo walks into the, the scene with the chairs and he sits down with, with Fishburne and offers him the pills. That scene. Just when he starts talking about there's a splinter in your mind, there's something, is it's always been there that's made you, like, that I was just so enthralled. Probably my most engaging scene. Like, I was just so relating to that because <clears throat> we probably all had things growing up and things we had been taught where it was always like, hmm, that doesn't make complete sense. And so as he was saying that, I was thinking, I was running through my mind thinking like, oh, yes, there was always that thing about that thing that didn't add up about reality or about society or about, you know, political whatever. So that that really resonated with me. And I love how he uses basic everyday examples. And I love how he like puts a little oomph when he goes, when you're doing your taxes. Mm. That kind of lined <laughs> up with the corporate stuff on this. So great. I love that, man. And it speaks to his, it speaks to how well he did. We, Because I think, I agree, and I don't know if you said he was the best, but I think he's the best actor in the movie by far, yeah, even though I'm a Keanu that. guy. This is the list of people that turned down the role of Morpheus. Oh my God. Sean Connery, Russell Crowe, and Samuel L. Jackson all turned this role down. Nobody wanted to do this movie. Wow. Why? Yeah, it's because, I, I, I mean, imagine in the late 90s when you just came off the disaster film you know spree which mm, the late 90s Armageddon, was known Deep for Impact. yeah 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 i mean everything in the late 90s independence we'll get to twister independence day Men in Black. twister yeah everything's about the world ending and then you've got this movie saying the world doesn't exist forget the world ending it doesn't exist it ended a long time and ago and there's this deep it's complicated and mm -hmm. blah 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 i can see why people turned it down 
And one of the prerequisites for this film, and they told them this, the Wachowskis, when you were going to do this movie, they gave you three philosophical books to read, like really deep philosophical books. Imagine Sean Connery just sitting down like, oh, I got to read, you know. I've got to <laughs> read these books. <laughs> It's if terrible. this doesn't get me laid, I don't know what to do. Terrible. Why'd I go Irish? Such terrible impression. <laughs> I know. Gracken bracken. Phil is our impression guy. I'm not I'm not doing good tonight. It took the bullet time effect took like hundreds of cameras. I believe that. So when you look at the circular thing, it's literally hundreds of like mini cameras and they just rotate between all of them. And that's how they accomplish that effect. It's crazy. All right, before we get into the war card, I did have a, uh, so every week I'm changing up the third question. So I always ask, what? why are these movies unique? What's your experience? But I want to know today, third question, if you're Cypher and you've been offered to trade the, you know, living outside of the Matrix, what was freedom, right? Following Morpheus, waiting to see if Neo is the one, eating the gruel or whatever that stuff is in the pit of the ship of the Nebuchadnezzar, or trade Morpheus, give him Morpheus and be a celebrity in a world you know that's not real, but you're comfortable, you're eating steak or drinking wine every day, and you're living a comfortable fake life. Just based on your personality types, Drew, Phil, Kyle, and uh, Phil, let's start with you this time. What would you do? Man, that is a tough question. You had to start with me. Um, I had to switch it up. I always, yeah. Drew's to my left, so I always. In in this physical room here, Drew is to Kyle's left, and I am to Drew's or left. Am I? And uh, Kyle is to my left. Um, man, that is hard because at one point, God, what was his name again? Cypher. Cypher asks a really important question. He just asks, what is reality? Like, why is his real in the Matrix any less real than being on the ship, being cold, staring at, you know, ones and zeros, eating whatever the slop meal was? That's tough, man. I, I think, I don't know. I mean, really interesting situation here, but like, I, I feel like we we can kind of get closer to answering this question because of the year plus that we've gone through with COVID and how any of us would just be doing anything right now to get back to normal, like to, to get rid of the masks, to get rid of the fear, to get rid of X, Y, and Z. And I, I feel like if I had been on the other side fighting for years and years and years and seeing minimal progress and you know, thinking we'd found the one and not finding the one. I, I don't know, man. I think there would come a point where it's like, what is real? This this other thing being plugged into the matrix, being put back into the power plant and being able to eat steak that isn't real and having my memory erased and just thinking it is real, but being loaded. I think that'd be a pretty appealing prospect yeah. after years of being in a desolate ship eating old rice or whatever the hell they're eating in there. I mean, that would be, it. it's always easy to say from the, from the moral high ground what you would do. It's like, I would stay and I would fight the machines and I would just be a champion for the common man. But you don't know what you would do if all you had, you know, if, if you were so desperate to get out of that situation that you would just go back into the Matrix and live a posh-ass life. Mm. And, I mean, if I'd been in it for a long time, I'd like to think I would stay and fight the good fight, but in reality, I feel like anybody would be worn down and just want to be free of that and just go back to living a in a beautiful world where no one is oppressing them, where they have lots of money and they're like celeb status. So, you know, trying to juxtapose reality with idealism, I think reality would take over and, you know, in, in the end I would take the cypher deal. And is it just me or did the Wachowskis go the extra mile to make sure the steak Cypher's eating looks like the best steak ever made? Yeah, like, perfect it's so medium rare. The big glass of wine. I'm like, I, I just want the steak. Like, cigar. <laughs> it's just all the... It was everything that's great about life. Cigar, <laughs> steak, wine. What else do you need? And yeah. then he's going to be rich, you know. And he's going to be somebody important like 
an actor. Like, yes. Yeah. If I could be like an actor, I think I'd be into that. And didn't he say something like his name was going to be Regan or something? Oh, I don't remember that part. Which I think is, I read, was a nod to Ronald Reagan, who became someone important, who was an actor. Mm-hmm. Or it could have just been the Wachowskis busting the chops of actors in general. Yeah. Is it Wachowskis or Wachowskis? I don't know. I was wondering the same thing. I, th- I, I think it's Wachowskis. One of you say Wachowskis, I'll say Wachowskis, and we'll, we'll cover all our bases. We'll make sure we offend everybody. Drew. I think the important thing to take away <clears throat> from that scene, the willful ignorance or the willful uh, enslavement, I guess you could you could call it, is that we all do that on some level, you know, in American culture and Western culture. Like we're all kind of choosing the stake, if we're being honest with ourselves. Because, I mean, look at like something like Disney World is a simulation of our childhood, which was about movies, which is a simulation in and of itself. So now we're in a simulation of a simulation, which dips into Inception because we're in like a, we're dropping down layers of simulations at this point. Like we're escaping from escaping from escaping. Like, yeah. So <clears throat> I think we're all doing that to some, like, so if the question is, would you or wouldn't you eat the steak? I think the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, the, how you beautifully said, Phil, was like, I, I think I would want to say I'm going to fight and I'm going to, I can't be ignorant of what I've seen and know to be true. But at the same time, like we all want to take the other pill and just there come, sort of. Yeah. There just comes a point where you're tired. Yeah. And you yeah. want to go back to what you know and what you know is the matrix. Mm-hmm. And God, I mean, like I'd like to say, like I said, fight the good fight. But man, I don't know. Who who knows where your mind would be after years and years of war against an unrelenting enemy that is not even organic. It's interesting hearing your perspectives because I have a totally weird twist on this, but I can't help but think about... So for me, you know, if when it comes to this question, I put myself in the shoes of... The one perspective that it's hard to answer is, we, you know, even though we haven't seen Cypher's, how he came into being free under Morpheus, they've seen the plugs in their arms. They've seen the holes in their the back of their neck. They came out of the placenta tank. Like, they actually experienced, and there is something to be said for seeing how the sausage is made. When you go to a restaurant and you like it, but you find out they failed their health thing, you know, I know that's a small micro version of that, but it's like, it changes things. When you find out what's underneath, I don't know. And knowing that I'm the kind of person that when I see that kind of stuff, it really impacts me. I don't know. I mean, as much as I love steak, I'm also like, I don't know that I could go on authentically knowing, you know, that, you know, I've seen how the sausage is made. I know, and it's wrong. I mean, they've, you know, this machine, even though it was created by humans, has taken over and it's using babies and humans for battery power. Like, can you go back? Like, knowing that that's, I guess it just depends. It's like. But you would forget, though. That's the whole deal. I don't know. Would you, though? Well, yeah, he does. He erases his memory. I guess Mm -hmm. that's, if you know your memory will be erased that's a big yeah i'm gonna be a actor if they're erasing the memory (laughs) cigars that was the best steak i've seen in a long time in a movie all right let's do randos for inception nolan originally wanted this to be a horror movie so he wanted this to have more horror elements it was going to be scarier i don't know if that meant monsters and but he wrote this originally in 2002 so this idea has been around forever phil to your point earlier you said earlier about how scientific and how it it demonstrates dreams. Nolan did zero research for this movie. He didn't want to do research. He didn't do any research about dreams. He didn't read what? Freud. He literally just went in, and this is just based on his life experiences and whatever knowledge he had in 2002 when he wrote it. He didn't do any extracurriculars. Wow. That's crazy. And and what I love is when he's he in the uh, one of the special features said that he wanted to just drop people in. And it speaks to this in the movie where it just drops you in and you're kind of like, 
you don't know how you got there. And they talk about it in the movie, like you, it's similar to a dream where you don't really, you never remember seeing a dream start, mm-hmm. but exactly. you always, you're always in it, which is kind of, which is a lot like movies in general, mm-hmm. but specifically this one, which I ca- is kind of Nolan's bag. I feel like he kind of wants you to feel a little disoriented the whole time. That's sort of kind of his charm. He wants right. you to feel like, wait, what's happening? What does this mean? Where am I? Why is he, sa-? you know, like, and I think it's cool. I think it feels so scientific, and I think you watch Interstellar, and I wonder, I definitely think he didn't do research for Interstellar, because <laughs> that's how that movie feels, but I think it's pretty crazy. <laughs> so here's the decision that would have made me not watch the movie immediately. Immediately, Not the first two, but here were three people that were considered for Ariadne. Emily Blunt, Rachel McAdams, and Taylor Swift. What? Has she ever she even acted? Nine during that when they shot that film? I don't know. I, I wouldn't have watched it. I have one. Okay, go ahead. Dom, Robert, Eames, Arthur, Maul, and Sato. The first letter of all their names. What does that spell? Dreams. What? That would make sense why her name was Maul because God, and, like and what Eames, kind of name what, is what that? The- yeah, my name is Eames. Uh, Although Yusuf was a pretty important character, and he wasn't. Yeah. Tom Hardy can sure. do no wrong. He can be named Eames or whatever. Are you gentlemen ready to war? I think we're war. more than ever ready for Let's warring. Let's pump it up. And for the listener, if you feel like this is disjointed, we're in the middle of a tornado watch, but we are committed. We're in the middle. No, not a watch. A warning. A warning. All we've been doing is stopping to watch to see if we are going to get killed. So, but you know what? This is how. But is it a dream? You know what? If we die, maybe we'll wake up in another reality. That's the beauty of the questions that these movies pose. So let's start where we always start, gentlemen. And Drew, we'll start with you. Best top bill cast. This one is tough because I feel like Leo, in and of himself, if it were just Leo against Keanu, I think I would have to say Leo. But it's not. It's top billed cast, which is the the top. Two to three to four, depending on how it goes. And man, I think between Keanu and Fishburne and Carrie Ann Moss, that's tough. I got to go Matrix. That is a, yeah, I would have to go Matrix too for the same reasons. Um, I, and, and I agree with Drew. If it was Keanu versus um, uh, Leo, I'd have to go Leo. But there's just something about that cast in the Matrix that, you know, those, those, the big names in that movie that really kind of take the cake for me. So best top bill, top bill cast, Matrix, Tornado Warning. I got to go for Matrix as well. And the reason being, I think it's really interesting. I don't think people think Leo is disrespected as an actor, but he's only gotten one best actor award for The Revenant in 2016. It's kind of unbelievable when you think about all he's done and that's the only one. I feel like that's a disrespect because I've loved him in so many movies and he's a leading man quite often, but I go Matrix because Lawrence Fishburne, as much as I'm a Keanu lifer, when I watched last week, I've watched it three times in the past two weeks with commentaries, I'm just so blown away by what he does. And what's funny is when he was Larry Fishburne, so before he was Lawrence Fishburne, he was Larry Fishburne in The Apocalypse Now, he was in that, which is a top 10 film for me as well. He's just such a great actor, and I feel like no one knows it. Like, I feel like everyone sees him and knows, oh, that's Lawrence Fishburne, that's great. But I don't think anyone say, that's Lawrence the Great, and I kind of want to call him Lawrence the Great. And for that reason, (laughs) 
And honestly, this little this gets a little bit of a boost from the underdog because Inception bigger bigger everything bigger cast. No one wanted to be in the Matrix. We listed all the people that rejected this film. But look what these actors accomplished. I didn't know who Carrie Ann Moss was. She's perfect as Trinity. She drones a little bit. She really is. She she's dro- fantastic. Yeah. There are areas where I'm like, ah, I don't like that. But she's perfect. I mean, she really is. She is great as Trinity. And I think because they're underdogs, this is Matrix across the board. Boom. The Wiener. Matrix. All right, Phil, let's kick off with Best Supporting Cast. Ooh. That one for me has to go to Inception because Tom Hardy, because Killian Murphy. Because who else is in that? Um, Tom, Tom Berenger, Marion Cotillard. Yes. Philippe Rao. Just Mike, Michael Caine. Michael Caine. I mean, he's in there for like five minutes. It's unfair. Then, yeah, and um, Ellen slash Elliot Page. Like that whole situation. That, that she's supporting actually, cast. She slash he, depending on the time, Yeah, is actually third build. Really? really? Yeah. How? The one thing I loved about her character in that film was she was somebody who grasped the the gravity of the Inception situation quickly, which is super believable because you've got, you know, the beautiful thing about like, you know, one generation learning information, passing it on to the next is that the next generation gets a head start on that concept. And she took all of Leo's learnings in that movie and embraced them and expounded on them. And she was acutely aware of everything that was going on in the Inception scenarios and would call out Cobb slash Leo's character on his just personal hangups that he would encounter in each of the Inception scenarios or in each of the, the dream diving scenarios or whatever. So her character to me was vital. And so for her being a, a third bill on that, that's crazy to me because to, to me without that, without her in that movie, that movie's not the same. I think Paige's character was there for the audience. Like that, that character played emotionally where we were at. She, like she was there asking all the questions and learning like, as she went, learning yeah. on the go on the fly and having conversations with Leo as he explained how it all worked and walking through the street you know like that was that character was there and solely to be the audience's eyes and ears man that's mm. a hell of an insight yeah and I, I go inception it's it's really hard not to and because it contains so many of my favorite actors Tom Hardy this was my first exposure and now he's like top three for me I love y'all know I love Tom Hardy I love what he did here and it was kind of my first introduction this movie actually caused me to go back to watch Bronson which is him starring as Charles Bronson and mm-hmm. Nicholas winning Reffin, which is an indie film, watch Locke. You know, I just went back into Tom Hardy and it's kind of unfair. Although I might make one controversial statement. Paige, I still think when you're looking at the main female protagonist, I still take Carrie Ann Moss. I actually think Trinity is a much, is just outweighs her acting wise pretty heavily in this area, but everywhere else, um, you got to go Inception. It's just, it's unfair. And Killian Murphy, who is an amazing actor and I feel like doesn't get an... Amazing actor. Side note, isn't it so weird that like in Pinky Blinders and in shows, he's like a like a top build amazing actor, but he still gets this second tier role and supporting role in this movie. He's so good. In, in all of Nolan's films. In all of them. Yeah, <laughs> he's in, like in, Nolan's in, best friend, I feel like. In yeah. Inception, he is, he's good. The thing about Inception, the funny thing about that movie is that movie could have had just garbage actors in it and still have been really good because the star of that film is the concept and the depth and the questioning. Um, So I don't know that anyone necessarily shines in that outside of like Leo and a handful of other people. But uh, Killian Murphy's er uh, character in that situation is serviceable. 
and he does the job. Mm-hmm. But but if you're aware of who he is as an actor and have seen things like Peaky Blinders, where he is lights out unbelievable, mm-hmm. then, I mean, that kind of translates into Inception and you yeah. just realize just what a brilliant actor the guy is. Yeah, and we're giving Inception the nod here, but it is hard to see him be subdued and Nolan films knowing what he's capable of. That's the only knock here. Exactly. It's like, oh, give him more to do because he's so great. Yeah, in a in a siloed situation, he was fine and serviceable in that movie, but looking at the breadth of his work and, and what he's accomplished, the guy mm-hmm. is just a beast. All right, we're tied here. It just And just... Briefly, to speak on The Matrix, outside of Cypher, I don't even know that it's the cast's problem as much as it's just the writing. There's just There, there wasn't a lot for them to do. They it's were true. just kind of all there, and it's like it felt a little bit like Alien, where there was like this crew on a ship that had to be kind of involved. I liked the like what they were going for, the atmosphere, but there was just nothing interesting yeah. for them to say or do. I'm glad you said that, because it brought to mind, that is exactly what I thought. Maybe because we're in this ship, but... Ridley Scott did everything with the supporting cast, even though they were minor characters yeah, trapped on a ship. Not a like, wasted beat. Yeah. Those actors were important. Like, I think back to that cast, I'm like, wow. Like, they didn't give a lot of glance to Dozer, you know, what is it, Switch, Rabbit. Like, these people. <laughs> it's true. Like, yeah. not like this. Apoc. Not like this. Not like this. <laughs> I was yeah. like, shut. That was a horrible moment, by the way. Great film. But when she's like, not like this. And then they pull the plug. I'm like, shut up. Like, yes, like this. Die. <laughs> yeah. It's actually time for you. Worse, actually. Unplug them hard. I did like the Oracle. Yeah. Oh, the Oracle she was, cool. was so good. She was just in there listening to her jazz music, just oh in her green gosh. kitchen, just sort of, yeah, she was she And was by cool. the time you're done eating this cookie, you'll feel right as rain. What was that the line? Something like yeah. that. Yeah, that was so good. And she carries the next two movies too. She's just as brilliant in two and three. Oh my gosh, really good. Dude, she underrated. I'm kind of like, ma- yeah. I'm kind of mad at us though. None of us have brought up Hugo Weaving, who flexes in this movie. So I would include him in Top Bill. He's, yes, you wouldn't. I know, but I I just hit it. Just hit me. We didn't say his name for Top Bill. He oh, was yeah. better as an elf. Oh come yeah. on. Yeah. He flexes Mr. in this movie when he's Anderson. talking to Morpheus and he's like, the stink. You I love could... to hate him. Yeah, but he's so good. And I, I don't know if he's Shakespearean, but you can tell he's got some classical acting in him. For sure. When his, I don't know if it's his teeth or the way he looks, but when he like is expressing how just disgusting humans are in that moment, I believe him. I'm like, this dude would eradicate humanity with one swoop right now if he, if he could. Like, yeah. I thought he was flexing uh, in that. Yeah. He and there's definitely... Def- yeah. No, I was going to say, he weaves his way into your consciousness. <laughs> <laughs> Hugo's out of his there way. Hugo to... again. <laughs> <laughs> Too win. easy. You win. Here's our first bro category. I love this one. So usually we say, which movie would your wife hate the most? But this category for these two movies specifically is, which one is your wife asking for an expl- explanation every five minutes the most in? Inception. My wife loves The Matrix. Mm-hmm. Doesn't dislike Inception. Loves Inception. But at the same time, it's I asked her to watch it with me, and she's like, "That that movie's just too heavy. Like I, I can't." I it's like, a cerebral respect, workout. You know? Yeah, for sure. Inception. Yeah, because it's in. it's complex. Matrix is not complex. Matrix is binary. It's I mean, which is you know ironic because it is literally based on the concept of binary. But like, it is either you are in the real world or in um, the Matrix. And it's very just yeah, one or the other. Right. It can be tricky to be like, wait, so, so what's reality and what's not? It, you can get kind of thrown off here and there. But but yeah, Inception is like, you got to have a cup of coffee before you start that. Oh, yes. Agreed. I'm going Inception on this. What's worse, being in a placenta pod, uh, being a battery for a machine, or maybe risking being in your subconscious or someone else's subconscious for 50 years because you made a wrong turn? 
to me, being a battery in somebody's machine, I would, I think I'd rather be trapped in a subconscious for 50 years because then if you wake up, maybe your brain scrambled eggs, like they say, or maybe you just, you know, snap out of it and get right back to it and you're good to go. So I, I think the fact that the being trapped in a subconscious for 50 years is less permanent leads me to say that being being like a harvested being no better than a stalk of corn being grown in a field (laughs) to feed people that to me is worse i don't want to be somebody's freaking energy source maybe i am you know maybe everyone listening is maybe you are in your car right now driving down i-95 going Mm -hmm. to the beach fuck you i agree with you but devil's advocate you would not be aware it's true right it's true right so uh, that's tough. But this question makes me want to throw out this concept. Is it possible that Inception is a prequel to Matrix? Hear me out. I'm in. Go. You got me. In Inception, Dom is a master at, I forget the terminology, but basically he, he plugs in all these people and helps them go into their dreams, basically. Is it possible that that's like a really primitive technology that eventually grows into the technology they use to plug in humans. And in the Matrix, they drop a line about some something about humans black out the sky so that aliens can't, or not aliens, but robots can't uh, they operate think, because of yeah. solar power, mm-hmm. correct? Yep. And Inception, Sato's company is a solar energy company who wants to d- divide their their rival company, who is also a solar energy company. So it seems like there could be, it, wow. at the very least, they float around in the same universe. I also got Terminator, Skynet vibes with the yes. know, robots taking over the world. Mm. I, you know, these are all tropes that like robot movies have in common. But for the sake of the discussion, I think that that, that you could make a case that maybe this happened several hundred thousand years ago because Matrix mm. takes place in the future. Like, who knows how far out we're we're from the time that Inception happened? That's killer. I could just. Stop there and think about that for a while. Not I'm saying. So if Damn. if it's coming down to to me here, I you know I even I think it's a risk, right? Like you're in the subconscious for a long time. I think Dom says the equivalent of fifty years. Him and him and Maul were in the subconscious, and it started off good. You know, worth it. I mean, yeah, she killed herself, and <laughs> <laughs> but you get to build some cool shit. No one in the Matrix. You don't know. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, but you're limited. In your subconscious, you have all kinds of building. You can build your memories. You can build. The answer is, do you want to be Dom, who is completely suffering the entire film? Or do you want to be Cypher, who's enjoying steak, cigar, and wine? That's the real question you're asking. Well, is it principle or pleasure? That's what it comes down to. I see your point. I'm still going Inception. (laughs) Okay. I just like the idea of like having infinite subconscious building powers. The other question is you have a right to choose between the two. This question is different to me, right? Yeah. What's worse, being in a placenta pod or... Because once you're already in the placenta pod, you wouldn't know. But you're saying you have the choice and you're aware. Which would you choose? It's... uh, Okay. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. What did you go with? Inception? Inception. I like your argument, but you're wrong. (laughs) So I wanted to soften this up a little bit. 
because we've been philosophical. We've been down in the dumps a little bit here. I just want to go straight up. What's the most badass? I know that's a weird category, but what's the most badass? Just like these both having, yeah, these are these have incredible scenes. Let's let's take full. Let's for a minute take a break from philosophical nuance. Thank God. Thank you, Jesus. These have incredible fight scenes. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, by the way, did Which all of his movie own stunts. Is the most badass yeah, just concept? pure badassery. Ooh. And what does that mean to you? We're fans. We're not critics, so we measure on badassery. Mm. And I'll start- I mean, the Matrix has more guns, you know. Yeah, so you got to go the trench coat scene when they're like, but they're it's just, you know. Yeah, walls are falling dude down. Dude and his girl walking in. They got the coats and the they use their guns and the guns run yeah. out. They don't reload their guns. They chuck them and they yeah. open their coats and they grab new guns. Disposable like, you- weapons. Yeah. They only reload in the next movie. Reloaded. Oh! Oh! We'll get to that. Is that the beginning of Gun Fu? I don't. I honestly don't know. It's yeah, I mean, I'm asking American I films. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure. I think obviously in, there's a lot of kung fu and wire work mm, and stuff, but yeah. wire fu. But is is that the first time? You, I think so. Hmm. Did it? Re, I mean, but then it kind of went dormant for a while because John Wick is like the next movie I can think of that does that. I mean, the Matrix. No, it, I mean, dude, everybody copied Matrix with yeah. the bullet time stuff. Yeah, yeah. Max Payne, the the game, the whole the whole game was based on the bullet time. I mean, thing. freaking Shrek. <laughs> like that was everybody a movie. Did some version of the matrix mm-hmm. like, it's true after. i would definitely say the matrix from a badassery point of view it, i mean anybody who's delving into some deep science situation like well if you take this drug and go under for five layers you'll be it's very unstable but you'll be down there for 90 years there's nothing badass about that it's interesting mm-hmm. and it's nerdy but it's not badass yeah the matrix that's pretty badass. Yeah. I'm going Matrix here, too. And and I will say, it's not that Inception lacks badass. So yeah, there's not a lot of guns. But when you look at how the movie was made, Joseph Gordon-Levin actually does a lot of his own stunts. So the scene where they're uh, falling into the ocean and things start to go crazy in the dream and the hotel room starts to rotate and flip around and they're fighting and flipping around as a room, that was a real room they were rotating. That wasn't effects. No like, way. Yeah, they actually constructed a box. And that's the thing about Nolan, right? He... He uses a little bit of CGI, but he wants everything in frame. He doesn't use second crews. He only uses second crews when it's a gigantic stunt. So the scene in Dark Knight when the semi flips over on the wire, the only reason he used a second camera crew is because he knew that if it went wrong, he'd have to explain to the studio that, yeah, I just spent millions of dollars on a stunt that we didn't get. So, But he wants one frame. He doesn't use CGI. He wants everything captured real time. So um, that scene is an actual, you can watch the special features. Joseph Gordon-Levitt's actually bouncing around and trying to balance on an actual room that's flipping around. It's pretty cool. And it's suspended. Anyway, he did all of his own stuff. That's badass. But like Drew said, the, the Matrix was knocked off. I mean, SNL was making fun of it. Everyone was doing Matrix stuff. Then Max Payne, you could argue, which is one of my favorite games. That game is totally built oh, on the, the idea of bullet is, time. The whole thing yeah. is bullet time. You the, the entire, like, as if the game and the story isn't cool enough, any shot you want, you can slow mm-hmm. it down just to get the effect. Yeah. Honestly, it's sad that movies thought of that before games. Because in yeah. games, it's a no-brainer. Like, yeah, you want to slow it, it down. Yeah. to like be able to shoot more in a smaller amount of time. Like mm. it makes so much more sense for a game to pull that out than a movie. And on The Matrix, you talked about the scene and the most badass scene is definitely when they enter the building and they go through security and all that. Mm-hmm. The moment is, is when I love that little touch and this is ultimate badassery. This is flexing. This is Hugo weaving. When they put the bag of guns through security, through the metal scanner and it goes red and it be beep. Because you know, you're like, they got the guns, but we're still going to go through security and we're going to check the bag. Right. And then they go off. I thought that was like awesome. 
we're fixing to be really badass. So the Matrix wins in this, absolutely. But there's some badassery in it. You meant Keanu, right? You said Hugo. Even. Oh, I know. I just meant earlier we were talking about Hugo flexing. This was another oh, flex. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, sorry. That was poorly done. Yeah, like Hugo flexed earlier. This was a major action <laughs> flex. Saying, yeah, we're going to put the gun, a bag of guns through the metal detector. Uh, knowing it's a gun, but it's just like, yeah, you're in for some shit. All right, this is going to be a tough one, right? Because, and, and I, I like this category because, and by the way, it's three to two Inception. Best effects, and I'm going to kick us off on this one for the sake of continuity. I still go Matrix on this. I, I think they were too innovative. I think what they, they literally, they had less technology to work with, but they were using hundreds of cameras to accomplish the bullet time thing. They were still using practical methods to accomplish some of the stuff we saw, although it's heavily CGI. And as much as I want to admire Nolan all the time for his love for practical effects and doing everything in frame using one camera crew, I still go Matrix on this just because the impact it had on, had on cinema. Yeah, I don't know how you don't go Matrix because of the landmark nature of, I mean, every, like we've already <clears throat> said, it's been copied so many times. But we'll do a, a quick honorary mention to Inception because I loved w when the world was folding in on itself and the dream, not only because of how the world was folding in on itself, but the the shadows that happened as it was folding in made it feel so real. It felt like you saw, because it, it was like almost the sun was there, but then as the streets started to like flip over and the buildings started to cave in on, on themselves, the sun didn't move. So like you still saw the shadows as if the sun stayed where it was. And that created just a real sense of like eerie realism. So... Shout out to that. But yes, Matrix, I mean, it was just so pivotal. Everybody under the sun copied it. Yeah, I go I go Matrix. Whew. Even though I'm going to lose here, I go Inception because I believed every moment of that visually, and it looked so convincing. Like, they made cities that didn't exist, and they made physics that didn't exist, and, and rooms move in ways that rooms don't move, and, and there was, you know, zero gravity situations where, you know, people were moving in a way that people shouldn't move and understandably at the time the matrix was copied a lot and it could be as kyle said in a few previous episodes recency bias but to me inception is just i don't look at a single frame of that movie and not believe it what 12 years later was it 09 that movie is just very believable. I believe, yeah. yeah, however many years later, over a decade at this point, that movie visually is still so believable. And, you know, it could be, you know, 10 years is a long 2010. time in, in the world of effects. But, like, I just watch that movie and I'm constantly amazed. Like the scene after the coffee shop where they're constructing uh, the different, the, the streets moving and the, the world folding in on itself. Like, I, I, I found myself sitting there wondering, like, so this car coming vertically down the street here, how's that going to transition to the horizontal street? And they handled that. Like, Christopher right. Nolan thought yeah. of everything. So to me, that's why Inception wins. But for its time, Matrix definitely set a lot of standards. So it's it's a tough one to call, but for me, it was Inception. And yeah. I lose. You could also make the case that Matrix was more ripped off because it was more doable and it wasn't as good. It is true. Bullet time looks rough. I was just saying, like, it's more like, oh, let's just slow things down and be more ethereal about everything. Whereas Inception is a little bit more complex. Like, just geomet geometrically, geometrically speaking. Yeah. I, <laughs> forgive me, I failed math. Geometrizedly. But trying to flip over worlds. And like you said, I thought, you know, thinking about the cars, like driving down one way and then like just making. Yeah. Like, that. how's that going to work? And it worked. Mm -hmm. It's a lot more, there's a lot more nuance yeah. to that, I would think. And aside from bullet time, 
because they used one of the world's best karate choreographers for the film, I mean, a lot of the stuff, like, that was Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon stuff, aside from Bullet Time, like, the fight scenes and the suspended air stuff. Like, that had been done in Japanese films forever. Right, right, so right. That, wasn't, True. that wasn't necessarily new. They just brought it to an American audience and put a technological overlay on it. Any votes changing here? No, I'm going right, Matrix. Yeah, fair enough. It's just too impactful. But, I mean, I give, I love, but you know I love practical effects more than I love CGI, so it's kind of surprising for me not to go Inception. But speaking of choreography. Although, I, 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 sorry. Go ahead. I, don't, I wouldn't say the Matrix wasn't practical mm -hmm. because, like you said, it was 180 cameras. And, you know, they had to fill in some blanks, but it was mostly practical. Yeah. I mean, Keanu was there doing those things, and the mm -hmm. cameras were there rolling. It's true. So there wasn't a whole lot of, mm. so for what it's worth. Good point. No, I like it. Good save. <laughs> All right, and this one's really relevant to this, and, and I want to highlight what I said about Joseph Gordon-Levitt doing his own stunts. Really, best choreography, because we just talked about the fighting um, and those and those things, but the fact that all that stuff's practical in the Nolan film, I mean, so you got kind of the, you know, the Matrix choreography, the fights, the the way those things are arranged, the fact that we talked about earlier that it took two months for Lawrence Fishburne and Keanu Reeves to train just to do the training scene in the dojo. But, I mean, you look at the special features on Inception, what it took for them to fight in that rotating room that was a real rotating room. It's really Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I mean, we got a lot of competition here. What do you think, Drew? Best choreography. Man, both have great choreography. I guess it kind of depends on what you want to call choreography, because I'm thinking about Inception, and there's so many to be able to time each level, like layer of dreams, to be sick, like timed correctly. It's kind of mind blowing. Like when when Joseph Gordon-Levitt has to like tie up all the people so that there's like so that they have to choreograph each kick so they all like go through the dreams at the right time. So I guess the choreography of the scenes themselves, I would go Inception. I think for just actual actors learning choreography and performing choreography, I would have to go Matrix. Okay. Man, that's an interesting point. Um, yeah. Choreography-wise, as far as like the hardcore definition of choreography, like two people or however many people doing something on, on a stage or whatever, the Matrix had more of that. But I hadn't thought of the fact that there's significant amount of cinematic choreography going on between this scene, that scene, syncing up concepts, syncing up timelines that the Matrix just nails. Or, sorry, Inception just nails. Um Gosh, that's tough. For the strictest definition of choreography, The Matrix had more of it, and it was all really good, so I might go Matrix, but for cinematic storytelling choreography, Inception. But since we're sticking with those strict definitions, I'll just go Matrix. I go Matrix here, and again, I mean, we pick two, we always pick two great movies, so we're not, it's difficult for a reason, right? But, you know, I look at The Matrix, and I think about the dedication it takes, and like I said, I'm a Keanu lifer, so I, one of my favorite things about watching the John Wick special features is watching the amount of work that he puts in at this place called Terran Tactical. It's where all the celebrities go to train to learn how to shoot and do, that's where Gung Fu happens, right? They take live ammunition, and they learn how to shoot and do choreographed scenes there and learn how to work with real guns. Keanu is so dedicated to this and the re one of the reasons it took two months is not just for that first scene in the dojo is not just because they had to learn it but one of the things they said is that Keanu is so dedicated and this is one of the things I hate that he gets slighted as an actor and what what, the, what was the funny thing you said in text Phil is like that doesn't sound like a great actor that sounds like a great dancer yeah you know the amount of dedication he has and that may be true and I know Keanu's not a perfect actor but I think he's perfect at what he does I'm not saying he has Daniel Day Lewis range but where Keanu is in his sweet spot he's dedicated to the craft he knows he's going to be doing action scenes, Point Break, John Wick, The Matrix. He is spending hours physically with his body. He had 
neck surgery beforehand. And I know that's out of the movie technically, but we're looking at all elements here. I, I say The Matrix here because I just think Keanu is one of the hardest working guys in Hollywood. And I think he dedicates himself to make sure he's ready to do this stuff perfectly. Those John Wick scenes, and I know we're not talking about John Wick here, but I'm talking about Keanu. He wants to do these things in one take. He loves being able to move seamlessly through these takes and do these things perfectly. And he wants to act them out. He doesn't want the benefit of effects. And I love his dedication. And I think he really shows in The Matrix here. As much as I want to give it to Inception because I love how they're dealing with the elements the, because the dreams are unpredictable and they don't know where the subconscious is going to go. I love how they interact with that. I can't discount how much Keanu dedicates and Lawrence Fishburne in this movie and uh, Carrie Ann Moss, they all did this preparation. So I got to give it to Matrix. Well said. All three for different reasons. Yeah, I love that. Diversity of opinion, ladies and gentlemen. All right, we got a few more here and we're completely tied. It is uh, six, it's three to three. I don't know where I got six from. Six is the total. Oh, six is the... Uh, three plus three. Plus uh, elementary school math, everyone. All right. Let's wow. just... Let's go base. Let's go back to an old... Uh, an oldie but a goodie category for us here at Movie Wars. Just Dom versus Neo, our protagonist. Leo versus Neo. Is that an equitable situation? Like... I mean, there are main... Neo can manipulate the world he lives in. And I guess Dom mm. can, too, because he's an architect. Character or performance? All of it. Performance to me, Leo, hands down. Okay. Why? You're, and you're not a big more, Leo fan. I'm not. And I'm also, I'm not a big Keanu as an actor fan. I'm a big Keanu as a human being fan. But um, I think they're both guys that get a lot of credit for being who they are as people, which are, they're both, they seem to be good dudes. And uh, especially Keanu, who there's just records upon records of him being just a great human being. This isn't um, human wars. This is movie wars, Phil. It's true. You're right. Um, <laughs> man, that's tough. Um, they're both interesting in their roles. To me, Leo is the better actor in the situation. Therefore, his character, man, I don't know. Both their characters can manipulate reality. I don't know. I don't know. Help me out. Alley-oop this shit. Pass me the ball. Yeah. I'm going to say, I'm going to say Dom simply because it seems like there's more of an emotional arc. It feels like Neo was sort of thrust into this thing. Like he woke up and like, wake up and you're the one and all the stuff. And he's like, what? Like, yeah. but Dom from the beginning, he wakes up on the shore of Limbo and he's trying to find, he has this like arc of like, I've got to find my family. I've got to find, I, I want to see my children turn around. I've got to, I can't leave my wife. Like you're all of a sudden thrust into the burden of what it looks like for a man to be able to like salvage and save his family and the love of his life. And I just related to that and resonated more with that. Obviously the matrix is more fun. Like it's more lighthearted. I loved what kind of the, the messianic character that that Neo is. And Neo, you scramble those letters up, it spells one, which is another messianic thing. And there's a lot of like Christ-like references in the film. That's fun. But I think as far as just a, a better character arc and better acting performance, I have to go Leo. And uh, I'm really surprised with myself here, but I go, I got to go Inception on this as well. I think both performance and both character. And the reason is, and like I've said 6,000 times in this podcast, I'm a Keanu lifer. I love everything he does. I'm a huge fan. But Leo's character has a show a lot of range here. Uh, Dom is a complex character. You know, 
Neo is thrust into the situation. He's kind of this kind of monochromatic character who kind of acts the same through the whole thing, which is the Keanu thing, right? He doesn't have a big temperament range for his roles. But Leo's ultimate goal, or Dom's ultimate goal, is to see his kids' faces. He hasn't seen his kids' faces the last time he saw his children. And it's his motivation is so innately human to me. He's not trying to save the human race. He didn't find out that he's been a in a pod attached to a robot for the last decade and he's his job is to save humanity from said robot he is literally taking a job to see his kids again because he was accused of killing his wife who killed herself and he was falsely accused he has a much different motivation which means he has to show a broader range and as much as i'm a keanu lifer i think we all know in this room leo is a better actor and i'm okay saying that i'm actually definitely agree with yeah why definitely a better actor and i mean the 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 academy says that but i go that way not to discredit what uh, keanu does um in the matrix i think he fits the role perfectly but leo he really shows a lot of range in this movie um and and nolan is not a director that lets actors kind of get out of hand i think heath ledger's the only example where he was like wow he literally got yeah that was like we have to let him run with this right like we have to let him be joker but when i watch a nolan phil i'm thinking about nolan like i don't think about the actor i think about nolan's vision i think we talked about that earlier it's about the character in all of his films is the story and the philosophy not the actors the actors are there to serve a purpose yeah but they're not there to be the stars. The stars are his con. The star is his concept. Yes, the con- that's such a well great way to say it. The yeah, concept wins. So I give it to Leo here. I mean, and and Leo has taken as much as I love Keanu. I mean, Leo has just taken a lot of challenging roles. I love. I've seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood like three times in a very short period. I just think he takes roles, and, and Keanu's always going to get cast in a very specific kind of role, which is fine. And I just think Leo shows his range here. So I got to go Inception as well. And also when Malf jumps off the building. That scene devastates me every time. It's it's agonizing to watch. And it's like it, Leo's reacting to that moment is almost so real that it like... Yep. That's a great point. His, his reaction to that situation is incredibly realistic. It is. Wow. I, I get chilled. I hadn't even time. thought... I guess that's the, the mark of a brilliant actor where you resonate with whatever's going on in the scene so much that you don't notice the acting. You don't even notice like, huh, this is an actor who had to pretend that... Yeah, that, yeah. he's not actually right. in pain. He's pretending to be in <laughs> immense pain because he just watched his wife die. And, you know, as, as people in this room who are all married and would probably feel really, really awful if that were our reality, like we don't think about the fact that that's an actor that's that's a great point yeah inception hard love it hardception there we go all right we're tied this is what happens when you only pick great films right it's four to four last question best ending and i'll kick us off is that cool i'll kick us off on this one so it's it's crazy because the endings have two different characteristics that you can't compare and it took me five times to really get what the ending of upset of inception was telling us and for those that are listening spoiler alert hopefully you've seen it by now the ending really and and this is still up for interpretation the the idea of the ending of inception is that throughout the whole film with his totem with his top he's obsessed with it does it fall am i in reality but when he sees his kids faces at the end he doesn't wait around to see if it falls because he doesn't care if he's in a dream anymore Hmm. he sees his kids faces and i would have said matrix almost every time until i finally understood that concept and that hit me like a ton of bricks i'm a father of three going on four you guys have kids to imagine it just put me in this weird reality where i could relate to to it more than the matrix i was thinking about what if i was separated my from my kids for years for no reason for something i was falsely accused of and i and the last thing i saw was the back of their heads i didn't get to say goodbye and then i have to traverse this crazy alternate reality 
reality, this dream world, to do a job, literally risking being lost in a subconscious for 50... I mean, this is such a crazy well, and, scenario. And just to yeah. attain the ability to re-enter the country that you live in. Yes. Because that's what happens there yes. at the end. I feel like that's easy to miss, but one of the big... When Saito picks up the phone on the plane, he's calling uh, customs or whatever mm -hmm. to let him through. Right. And, and you just so stand there and wait. One thing that gets missed, because this is something that we talked about once again over text, but in a Christopher Nolan film, the story is secondary to the to the philosophy. And the story in that movie is actually pretty simple. It's like, you know, there's a one conglomerate that's against another conglomerate. Mm -hmm. Leo hasn't been allowed to be back in the United States, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's almost not, too simple where you're like, you find yourself in the midst of the philosophy. Like, yes. what is the plot? <laughs> yeah, you you totally can miss the plot in a Nolan film because it's just a shell to contain the, the science or the philosophy. Yeah, that's good. But the brilliance of it is there's so much subtext and things that if you blink, you miss it. Mm. But if you're thinking about the movie in context, uh, there's a part in probably the first 30 or 45 minutes where Saito says, like, where Leo and Saito are talking and, and Leo is like, I need to be able to get into the country. And Saito goes, that's a phone call for me or whatever. And he never mentions it again. Right. Then all that happens to indicate that that Saito is is a man he of his word. He picks up his phone. Is he picks up his phone on the plane. And then and, Leo walks through. And you're left to remember what happened two hours earlier right. in the film. That's right. <laughs> yeah. it, it, like good luck, you know? Right. But if you've, <laughs> if you've right. seen this Take film the third enough, time, you're like, oh. Yeah, it's like, oh, he's calling immigration or whatever, and he's getting right. him back in. And, and, and the look of relief on Leo's face as he's walking through customs, as he's walking through the turnstiles, and everyone's looking at his papers and just letting him through mm. like the implication is that leo finally achieved his admittance back into his home country mm. to see his family to get back to his house so anyway yeah and this really great stuff it, it's so good and it really speaks to nolan i mean he does this in every film and he can he's done it with batman he's done it in all these crazy movies like he connects you even though everything we're talking about how much of a genius he is and how that's so scientific but somehow he lands the human element on you like a ton of bricks like this whole movie people are confused it's like, well, whose dream are we in? Whose consciousness is... But all of a sudden, like, you're relating at a human level at the end. It's like, this guy all of a sudden doesn't care if he's dreaming or not. The whole movie... You're at, what's the question you're asking yourself? Yeah, there's all this plot. We got the corporate plot, but it's really, where are we? Are we in someone else's dream? Is this reality? Where are we? Right. But, but at the end, Christopher Nolan is asking you not to ask whose dream you are in, but acknowledge the moment you're in. The question isn't, am I dreaming? Is like, what matters now? And that is, I see my kids' faces. And there's something so human about that. It lands the plane. And I know that the ending of The Matrix is a lot different, and it's asking different it's things pretty, of us. It's Hollywood. It's Hollywood. It's a it's big... It's like, oh, he is the one. You know? And it's awesome. I yeah, love that raging, awesome. that da, 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 and he flies. That's awesome. But in terms of an ending... Christopher Nolan, and maybe he has the benefit of knowing he's not going to take us back to the Inception universe and the Matrix was always going to be a trilogy so they had to leave it open-ended, but Inception a landslide here. Yeah, I think just like the the philosophy of Inception is that you are distracting just like Killian Murphy's character, you're distracting him to where he doesn't understand that what he he's having an idea that he doesn't even know that is happening. Same thing is happening in the last scene of the movie where you're watching the top. The whole audience is like, is it going to fall over? Is it going to fall over? Meanwhile, without us even realizing it, there's an idea being planted within us as viewers that, oh, the point is Leo is focused on his kids. Like, that's being, it's it's there somewhere. You just punched me in but the gut. But he is intentionally redirecting us to watch the top when the point of the scene is him running after his kids. Yeah. You just punched me in the gut with that. 
I was not expecting what you just said. I didn't even think about, as a viewer, the idea somehow Nolan's doing it to us. Right, yeah. because you can look at Inception as as each character could play a different role in telling a story, in making a movie. You know, like Leo is the director because, I mean, if you look at Nolan, he looks just like Nolan in this movie. He dresses like him. His hair is like, he, there's definitely some weird, it's kind of like we talked about Jaws a few weeks ago, like uh, Dreyfus. Dreyfus' character looked just like Steven Spielberg. There's definitely some like, yeah. Nolan sees himself in this character. Um Sato would be like the the executive producer, like he's sitting across the table trying to sell him on this idea. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is the on-site producer, like trying to solve problems. Like he's in that middle dream, trying to like, oh, everything's a disaster. I've got to tie up these bodies and make sure the kick happens. And like, so you, it, it's kind of a metaphor for filmmaking. Well, Ellen Page in a is sense. like set builder and costume design too, because right, she right, right. is she's the architect. Exactly. You know. Exactly. So the whole thing is kind of a a, a metaphor for for filmmaking. So yeah. That's amazing. Woo. Woo, you just blew my wow. mind. I know. Phil and I are kind of real. That's now. great. Good job, Drew. Yeah, Inception for me too. I don't know if I yeah. said that. But like, and, and for slightly different reasons, I I don't know if I'm a contrarian or whatever, but I just don't, the Hollywood ending thing to me is too easy. And like Neo being the one mm-hmm. and flying off for some reason because he can manipulate, you know, the space that he lives in is, uh, it's a great ending and it's super cool and fun and everybody loves a feel-good ending. But I love the ambiguity in Inception that you feel like the top fell down because because it's wobbling at the end, but I love that you don't know. And I love that the whole movie plays out this multi-dimensional dream state time warp thing and you leave the movie not knowing the answer. And I love that. You can't yeah. beat a theater gasping. I love <gasps> that. Credits. A credit <laughs> screen. Like, than that. Cuts like, to black. <gasps> To no, me, is that it? What the? To me, the best movies tell a story, make you think, and then kind of leave you thinking about it. And that's what Inception yeah. does to me. And you wanted to watch it immediately again after. I don't know about you, but I was like, I need to watch Absolutely. that right now again. And I think, in and in last comment on The Matrix, I think one of the problems with The Matrix is that it when you really get into the, the philosophy of The Matrix, it feels like a movie that was made by two guys that just discovered philosophy. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it feels like two guys singing the greatest hits of all philosophy. You can literally assign a philosophy to every scene in the movie. And, and, and it, it's great, but then it just ends on the Hollywood note. You know, it's like they take us on this crazy existential ride, but then we just end it on kind of that normal note, whereas with Nolan, he connects with you at that human level. Oh, man. Well, the funny thing, too, about The Matrix is I remember... I felt like, well, I was watching it again. I've seen the movie tons of times, but for some reason I was like, when I was watching it this time, I was like, is he going to fly away again? Is Does yeah. he fly in this movie or am I thinking of a different movie? And then, dude, he just flies in. <laughs> he flies into the credits at the end of the movie, and it's mm-hmm. like... yeah. It's kind of silly because, you know, why is he flying all the sudden? And he hadn't flown in at the, all. Yeah, I mean, he, he had in the simulator, but he hadn't just flown like a superhero the whole yeah, movie. Yeah, so it was like this feel-good moment that they put in the movie to, like, the 90s were full of, like, the oorah endings where, mm-hmm. you know, crazy philosophy and, and like, Satiating. everything just kind of comes together. And it doesn't matter because at the end you feel really yeah. good. You get your hero moment. And that was the Matrix. And But, man, with Inception, that ending... It torments people to this day. There are yeah. 
thousands of Reddit threads about the ending of Inception. And like, is it Maul saying that, you know, he is tortured in his own manufactured reality for all time? Or is it actually reality or, yeah. you know, whatever. The, the, the genius of Inception is that 11 years later, we're still thinking about what that ending really means. Whereas The Matrix, it's like, you know, super intriguing philosophy, super great execution, but the dude flies into the credits at the end. Yeah, having not flown the whole movie. You know, another tight win, right? I mean, it's a really tight thing. I think last time Jaws versus Jurassic Park Jurassic Park was dominating the whole time and then just barely got out on top. But, you know, two great films, two philosophical challenges um, that we all love. Um, We're going to end like we all end, and I think we all could use a comedy next time. Do you agree? Which is why I think we're going to try to do like Dumb and Dumber or something next time because this was, we bit off more than we could chew here. Uh, Hopefully you hung with us in this, but we're going to end how we always end. We're going to end with our uh, just closing thoughts. What movie do we love and why? Love Matrix because it makes you think, but man, I watch Inception, and to me, it is a perfect film. There is nothing about that movie that I don't want to watch over and over and over again. And for me, that's huge because I don't watch movies over and over again. I One and done, I'm good seeing it once. But man, Inception, there is meat upon meat to that situation. And I just want to know more. And I want to kind of get into the thoughts of the filmmaker and it's rare for a movie to make me feel like that and and like i said earlier in the podcast that movie kind of ruined movies for me for a while like nothing could measure up to the way that movie made you think about stuff and so yeah to me inception is by far the better film but you can't discount what the matrix did at the time for other you know, for just for Hollywood in general, like it really introduced the concept of questioning your own reality. And, you know, here we are 20 some odd 22 years later, it's still an amazing philosophical journey. Matrix is an amazing film. But for me, just on a personal level, Inception just just takes you on a whole different journey that I still resonate with 11 years later. So I think the Matrix was a wonderful building block. For Inception. I think there was a whole generation of high schoolers, college kids in the 90s who were sinking their teeth into computers and they were learning what the world could look like if now computers are involved. And the, it kind of spoke to the moment in the sense that there was a whole group of people that were computer nerds. Um, and so those, those nerds went to Matrix and they loved it. And then that same group of people went to college. Maybe they took a philosophy class and talked about the Matrix. Maybe they had a family and some kids. Then they went to Inception and that those films and those conversations and those classes prepared them for the kinds of questions that Nolan likes to ask in his films. So I think in a lot of ways, they're sort of dance partners in a sense. And ultimately it comes down to, do you want the simple, flawless nature of Matrix or do you want the kind of imperfect uh, complexity of Inception? And for me, call me a dreamer, but I go with Inception because I like that cerebral disorientation, uh, disorienting feeling that Nolan is always giving me. You know, I, um, I'm i shocked with my answer on this. I'm a Keanu lifer. I'm a Matrix lifer. I, I'm one of the few people that likes the whole trilogy. I acknowledge that 3 is very flawed, but it's still very fun. The Matrix is so avant-garde. It, it changed a lot of things for film. It, it showed what was possible. Right. And you see it throughout culture, the and not just from a filmmaking perspective, but the comedic element that came from SNL and all these different comedic outlets making fun of the bullet time and the matrix, something that we had never seen before. And I give it endless credit and due for that. It shook me up, not just philosophically, but just from an action perspective to see what was possible in filmmaking. But 
I go to Nolan and reverting back to some of the comments I made earlier, I think I would have said the matrix up until last week when I watched the watched inception again for this podcast. And I was thinking about the ending that I finally understood. And I really hit on this earlier about what it meant when he saw his children's faces, something weird about Nolan. He, finds a way through all, and he did this in Interstellar, he's done it in the, all the Batman films, he connects with you at the human level through all the sophistication and all the crazy filmmaking, he's using real elements, he wants everything in one frame, he wants it all to be real, for example in the film when uh, when they're first, when Ariande and Dom are first in the dream and he's teaching her and the, that explosion happens on the Parisian corner those are cannons, that's not a CGI effect, those are, that is shrapnel and paper shoved in cannons and they literally placed uh, Leo and Paige in, in one place where they couldn't be blown away by wind. And those are that's real debris coming out, and it's just slowed down. Where he can be real, he'll be real. And I think there's something to be said for that. Even years removed from the Matrix, he leans on that reality because I think he wants to connect with you. For the first time, it's funny, this is like the sixth or seventh time I've seen Inception. I finally get it. Like, it's really, a, it's a tiny bit of a love story. It's about lost love. And it's about him connecting with his kids. And he basically the ending says, I don't care if this is real or not. I will take any now, I will take a present moment where I'm with my kids, whether it's a dream or not, over any of this. And I'll put it all at risk, get lost in subconscious for 50 years, die in the dream, whatever these things are. And there's something so human about that. And I love how Nolan, and again, I wouldn't have said this if you would ask me last month, I'd have been like Matrix, easy. But this viewing, having this new understanding of Inception for me, I just can't get over the fact about how through all this craziness, Nolan connects with me at a human level. That's how I feel about Inception. I'm rambling on, but I got to go Inception here, which blows me away because I'm such a lifer, but Inception. Yeah, and he sneaks in the uh, in a cerebral way. Like mm -hmm. you think you're, you're thinking the whole time. It's not like a typical, you know, feel good, emotional, like you're not. You walk away like dumbfounded, but then also like, ah, oh, man, I really felt for those characters. It's like you find yourself in the midst of Inception. You're trying to figure out where you're at and what's happening. And then like when Leo's wife is jumping off the cliff, you're like your heart could not be more present as well. It's like the complete like penult like ultimate mix of heart and head like the entire time well we want to thank you for sticking through us on this adventure we did not anticipate a tornado watch in the middle of the most philosophically dense films we could have picked but uh many distractions yeah <laughs> many distractions but uh we want to thank you which is why we're going to go lighthearted we're thinking about tommy boy versus dumb and dumber or something more lighthearted for our next one but thank you for joining the movie wars two great films today drew phil thank you so much what a great show have a good one Drew, Phil, and I want to thank you for hanging out with us on the Movie Wars podcast. If you want to hang out with us until the next episode drops, find us on Instagram and TikTok, username Movie Wars Podcast. If you really love us and want to support us financially, we would love you back for it. Contributing to us on Patreon not only supports us financially, but it gets you access to private content that's not available to everyone. Thank you again for hanging out with Drew, Phil, and I. We love you. Have a great week. <laughs>